Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adam. What do you say we talk about Dylan Raiola for a minute? I know we haven't really done that much yet this week, I say sarcastically, but nonetheless, I think we still are seeing some very interesting reverberations on the heels of the commitment from the nation's number one prospect a couple of days ago. And there are additional conversations that are being started now because Raiola has committed to Georgia. And I think we t- need to take our time to highlight some of this. First of all, the thing that right now is probably the most fun for so many Georgia fans is the age-old question as it relates to UGA recruiting. Georgia gets big news and recruiting some form or fashion. The next question is, okay, well, who's next? Now we got this guy, and who's the next guy that's coming? And these questions become more relevant or probably more uh, persistent maybe even on the heels of a big-time quarterback because quarterbacks always seem to have some coattails. They seem to be kind of the old-school phrase that used to get used a lot. They seem to be Pied Pipers. They seem to sort of lead people to their class. Quarterbacks oftentimes function as those class leaders. And for Georgia in particular, this has sort of seemed like an even more relevant discussion because it allows Georgia to win with a position group that has oftentimes not been, from a recruiting standpoint, at the same level as some of the other position groups. You can cite all three levels of defense, defensive line, linebacker play, secondary play. You've seen Georgia just collect stacks on stacks on stacks of five-star this and high four-star that, future first-round pick this. On that side of the ball, that's fully covered. Offensive line, Georgia's been that. You know, tight ends right now, Georgia is that. You can kind of go through a lot of different position groups and you see Georgia recruiting at the best, performing at the best, populating the NFL like the best. That's just what Georgia does. Wide receiver has been a little bit different. But boy, we get senses that that might start, that that might be starting to change. That Georgia seems to be right now in play for five star receivers in both the class of 2024 and the class of 2025 in a way that they just haven't been before. That is what a guy like, you know, Dylan Ryola will do for you. So, on that note here for a moment, I saw this from our friends over 24 7 Sports. You know, a name that has really mattered to me, and I'll admit, there is still a degree to which maybe you're skeptical that that Georgia can change this much this quickly with this guy. But when people have said with said to me, "Hey, BA, if you could see you know Georgia, uh, you know, kind of be impacted by the Riola news with any one player more so than anybody else, who would be your choice? Who'd be your guy on this?" And obviously, it's easy to say Ryan Wingo, or it's easy to say Jeremiah Smith, and we'll continue to say those names. But locally in state, the guy that's sort of mattered to me has been Mike Matthews. And I saw him 24-7 sports. Matthews kind of has his official visit schedule laid out. This is, of course, a a young man from Parkview High School there uh, who I would kind of rank as probably the most exciting player in the state with all due respect to guys like K.J. Bolden and obviously Julian Lewis, who's going to just be a sophomore this upcoming year. I'd probably put Matthews on my list as the most exciting player in the state of Georgia. And he's got his official visit list out there. So I at least want to give you this. We'll talk to Jeff Santel about this and so much more when he joins us tomorrow. But 24-7, according to Steve Wilfong, has got him going to Clemson uh, first weekend in June. That's June the 2nd. Then at George the week after that. Then uh, USC. Then Tennessee coming up after that. So uh, Mike Matthews got those official visits. And Georgia gets its chance to uh, host Matthews right there and gets its chance to make that impression. And, boy, you start thinking about you know, as I said before, the Jeremiah Smiths and the Ryan Wingos, and now you add a Mike Matthews to that, and you think about 2025 wide receivers, and you think about all of the excitement that the that the uh, that the commitment of five-star quarterback Dylan Riola brings to Georgia. And I said we'll talk to Jeff Sintel about this tomorrow when he joins us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thar. But Jeff Sintel was also talking about this last night on his own show before the hedge is presented by Kroger that's a Wednesday night recruiting staple been around for a long time and sort of last night Jeff was laying it out in no uncertain terms about just how impactful uh, Dylan Riola could be for Georgia's recruiting efforts here moving forward and this really I think it's UGA fans energized for the summer that's still on its way this is a Jeff Sintel from last night I just think Dylan Riola is going to make a splash. He's going to make a big splash on Georgia football recruiting. He is a rainmaker level commitment. And what I mean by that is that guy is going to bring a lot of rain, a downpour of other interests with other top targets. I think it puts Georgia in an enviable position with a lot of key offensive targets in the 2024 cycle. And really, I think the splash is kind of like a Jordan Davis cannonball off the high dive at the Ramsey Center. That's how big I think it's going to be for this Georgia class. 
So oftentimes in the summer, rain coming is not a good thing, right? If you've got a golf outing plan, you've got a pool party plan, you're going to a Braves game, something like that, a bunch of rain in the forecast, oftentimes that's not a good thing here at the summertime of year. But when it comes to a rainmaker on the Georgia recruiting side of stuff, I would say that's probably pretty good, and we'll hear more from Jeff Sintel about that tomorrow as far as the impact Dylan Riola can continue to make on both the 2024 and I would say probably 2025 classes here for the University of Georgia. And obviously all of this is very bad news for Georgia's rivals. But I think there are other I think there are a couple of other points to consider here as it relates to how those kind of outside the bubble of dog nation are experiencing the Riola news that goes beyond just the reverberations of well if you get Riola you may also get this wide receiver and you may also do this you may also do that I think there is a a degree to which a lot of this sort of extends beyond all of that and one of the best points I've heard made about the Dylan Riola situation was made by Connor Riley he first said this to us when he joined us on Tuesday and I think it's such a a good point he has now written about this at dognation.com and y'all as you continue to kind of process what Dylan Riola to Georgia means for UGA, what it means for those programs that are not UGA. The point that Connor made with us the other day and that is now written at dognation.com, I think needs to be an important part of this record. That Let me just read what Connor wrote about this, and I'll, I'll mention a couple of you know thoughts on, on this myself here as we kind of continue to look at the fallout of all of this. Let me show you Connor Riley from dognation.com. This story posted just this Thursday morning here. Uh, Connor says, with Georgia almost certainly facing a tougher schedule moving forward. What Connor means by that is, is that next year, the SEC is adding both Texas and Oklahoma. There's a chance this league expands to a nine-game conference schedule. But at the very least, we're doing away with divisions, which means that Georgia, who's had a chance to kind of feast in the SEC East, you can see leave, leave, leave the quote up for right now, uh, that, uh, that Georgia has had a chance to feast in the SEC East. That schedule is going to look a little bit different here moving forward. So Connor says, with Georgia almost certainly facing a tougher schedule moving forward, one can imagine Georgia is going to need to lean on the talents of their quarterback, whether that's a Dylan Riola or not. It's going to be determined on the practice field in the seasons to come. But his arrival comes at a time when the sport's undergoing massive change. Winning a championship is going to be harder. I think that's an interesting point, simply because Georgia will have more frequently be playing better teams. That's Connor Riley. You can read the full story there at dognation.com. I think that's a really good point. And I think you see other examples of this around college football. I think Wisconsin's upgraded its coaching staff in the Big Ten because it knows it's about to play a tougher schedule. I think you see Nick Saban kind of whining and complaining about who their permanent opponents might be if the league goes to a nine-game conference slate because I think Alabama knows in some form or fashion things are about to get more difficult. You're about to be challenged more frequently. Longer college football playoffs you know more varied sec scheduling maybe they sort of feel like their talents eroding a little bit too but one way or another things are about to get harder so even the best need to find a way to get better and that is what the arrival of dylan riola means for georgia that as good as georgia's been obviously winning in 2021 winning in 2022 or as we say around here go for two in 22 that's what georgia did but as good as georgia's been they now want to be better. They now know that in an expanded playoff world, in a deeper SEC world, in an SEC schedule world where things are a little bit more balanced, you don't have Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt to kind of kick around each and every year, you better take your game to the next level. And that, I believe, is what Dylan Riola represents for Georgia. And that's what Connor Riley has written about there at dognation.com and talked to us about uh, when he joined us on Dog Nation Daily on Tuesday. This represents kind of a new frontier for Georgia where, as good as it's been, it wants to be better going forward. That is really exciting but there's one more point i want to make here for a moment and this is the thing that i don't think that you should lose so for all of the i guess sort of aftermath reverberation the dylan riola stuff you, know, you can talk about as we did a moment ago the other recruits that might come to georgia because of this you can talk about georgia wanting to be even better than it's been in the past and that's all really exciting but i think it also sort of represents potentially a little bit of a changing of the guard in college football that I don't think you should miss. I want to show you a tweet here. This is uh, coming from a guy named Pete Futak. Now, let me tell you who Futak is. Uh, he is a longtime, I guess you call him the publisher of a website called collegefootballnews.com. Now, pre-social media, the version of like college football on the internet back then were called the sort of like the we I guess it's what I'm called the blog sites right this is like sort of early days college football people were blogging about college football and that was sort of the repository for hot takes and back during that era college football news was one of the web one of those websites I sort of gravitated to kind of a lot pre-social media as a place that was kind of hosting some online conversation about college football so a few tags been around here for a while may not be that famous to you but he was you know a fairly uh, interesting figure in kind of the pre-social media age 
of the sport and he had a tweet this week that I thought was kind of interesting that I, I think reflects more than just few tax on opinion I think it reflects in some respects probably how a lot of people maybe see the situation of wow Georgia got Dylan Riola this is a little bit different from what we've seen from Georgia in the past but the difference I think makes a difference and I think you should notice this let me show you a few tag online here from Twitter saying I've never understood recruiting he says Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungo-Vailoa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young. He says, I can't find a better four NFL quarterback run in college football history than what Alabama put together during that span. He says, I've got zero dog in this fight. But how does Alabama not have quarterbacks like Dylan Riola begging for the gig? In other words, why wouldn't Dylan Riola just automatically, without question, follow in the footsteps of all those you know, great quarterbacks at Alabama? He says, it's not like Bryce Young was hurting for endorsement money. So that to me is not a rhetorical question. That to me is a question that actually deserves an answer. Why is it that, that, that Dylan Riola is not going to a place like Alabama that has had such a great history of quarterbacks? You can't dispute that. The names that Futak uh, mentioned there, all legitimate. Those are all legitimate names and a legitimately great run for Bama at the quarterback spot. Or Futak didn't mention this, but he could have mentioned, how about Ohio State? How come he didn't go to Ohio State and follow in the footsteps of C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields before that or you know whatever else, whatever else? At one point in time, after all, he was committed to the Buckeyes. To me, I think the answer to that question is, is that guys like Riola, I think, see the winds of change blowing. And the thing you've heard me say over and over again, and y'all, I think this should not be missed, is that one way or another, recruits are always the first to know. If a program's trending up, recruits are going to know it because they're invited to come inside. They see the inner workings of a program, and they get a chance to kind of kick the tires and evaluate a program the way that those of us media fans, we're just a little bit more on the outside. We are a couple of levels removed, and the version of things that we see isn't necessarily the unvarnished truth that sometimes you can only see from the inside. There are examples of that to the positive. You know, when Georgia put together a number three recruiting class in 2017, all of that, you know, you know the Jake Fromms, the Andrew Thomases, all those guys that came in, all of that happened before Georgia had any kind of breakthrough season on the field. Georgia had only been eight and five in Kirby Smart's first year of 2016. But still, all of those elite players trusted that George was building something good and lo and behold the very next year they won the SEC they made the college football playoff but the recruits that saw the early days of Kirby Smart before there was any evidence on the field they realized that something good was happening and then they end up fulfilling their own prophecy there on that and sometimes it also kind of works out to the negative there as well how come a great quarterback like Dylan Raiola isn't going to Alabama because, after all, that's what great quarterbacks have done for such a long time? Pete Futak asks that. It's not a rhetorical question. To me, the answer is, well, guys like Dylan Raiola must just sort of see that things are changing in Alabama and that the version of Alabama that Bryce Young once played at doesn't quite feel the same Alabama anymore. After all, it's Tommy Reese who's offensive coordinator now, and before it would have been a guy like Steve Sarkeesian. And Alabama, who, when Bryce Young's choosing to go there, they're winning national championships on the regular. But the last couple of years, that's not been what Alabama has been. That somehow, some way, quarterbacks, elite players, maybe they're just noticing things are kind of changing here a little bit. And on the outside looking in, you know, we're not quite so sure how true that really is. Well, Georgia's been on the top of the last couple of years, but are they destined to stay that way? Can Alabama sort of step in and do something about that? You know, you know how, how real is the run that Georgia's been on the last two years? How real has it been? Well, when you see prospects and recruits like Dylan Raiola flocking to UGA, and as Jeff Sintel hinted on Before the Hedges last night, the other players that may come to Georgia along with and possibly because of that, then I think you see the very best recruits in the sport saying, not only has Georgia been the best the last two years, we think they can be even better in the future. So how come Riola isn't going to a place like Alabama? Because the place that Alabama was, maybe it no longer is. And the entire college football world may find out that this fall. But guys like Dylan Riola, they've seen the inside. They've talked to other recruits who are going there. They've done their own evaluations. They've made their own judgments. They've seen for themselves. Recruits are always the first to know. What recruits seem to know right now is Georgia, who's been the best, could still have more room to get better. 
my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether Weather and Tharp. We are happy to have you, no matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start at 945, our first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, so many different ways for you to catch up with us there across all the video platforms, also on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com, we are just happy to have you with us as a part of our program today. Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. Just so glad to have you with us. And so glad to have our friends at Meriwether and Tharp as well. Your source for Georgia divorce. And I realize, listen, talking about Dylan Riola, that's so much fun. Talking about divorce, uh, that is not so much fun. In fact, I think it, it sort of fills some people with a little bit of a sense of angst. Because for some of you, it's your own divorce situation that you've either dealt with or in the midst of dealing with. And that word just carries so much negative implication for you because of that. In other cases, it may not be your own personal story, but we can all sort of tell a story of someone that we knew that went through a divorce and it can't be minimized. I mean, it's a serious, serious situation. And the reverberations of that can be felt for a long time. So whether it's our own personal encounter with this or someone that we know that has kind of gone through this, we've all been touched by divorce in some form or fashion. And I'm not here to sort of minimize it and make it less than it is. It is a big deal. It is the kind of thing that kind of carries some, you know, emotional weight with it. I I get all of that. But I also believe that sometimes the only thing to do in life is to confront the reality that you've been faced. The only way, you know, kind of around certain things to go through certain things. I I think that divorce is uh, one of those things where if it's the reality in your life, confronting that reality is just the thing that has to happen. And while I can't wave a magic wand and make it disappear, I can't take it away from you. I can do the very the next the very next best thing which is recommend a strong advocate for you to kind of go through it with you. Our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, who have been through this thousands of times before, the great collection of attorneys they employ, they've been through this, they've done this, they know how to leverage the law to your benefit, and they know how to set you up for more success in your life's future once you get through this divorce proceeding. All the things that matter, finances, relationship with children, all the things that kind of are a part of the divorce process. If it's a reality for you, creating the, the the best outcome possible is just an imperative. It just matters. So our friends at Meriwether and Thought want to help you out with that. They are your source for Georgia divorce, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online, the Atlanta divorce team.com. That's the Atlanta divorce team.com. All right. So we're going to get Terrence Edwards here coming up in just a moment. I'm looking forward to that. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse and we start the show today by talking about Dylan Riola, and here's recruits that might be interested in Georgia because of that, and here's how bad this could be for those who sort of think of themselves as rivals to UGA, and that's obviously a very relevant conversation. That's important. That's something that's happening now. What we're about to discuss is much less important overall, but for whatever reason, I'm still sort of as fired up about it as I guess I would be about the stuff that probably matters a little bit more. So the SEC Network put out a tweet yesterday. I think it was yesterday, uh, sometime this week. That has kind of got a little, a lot of uh, discussion, debate going here, kind of comparing the best Georgia defense in 2021 to what a lot of us think of as sort of the best offense from LSU in uh, 2019. Let me show you the SEC Network on Twitter sort of setting this up, and I think it's kind of fun. So the SEC Network says, this matchup would be fire. LSU, Georgia. He says, who would win? The 2019 LSU offense versus the 2021 Georgia defense. You see Joe, Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss, compared to Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and Kobe Dean and Lewis Seen and Keely Ringo. By the way, all of the first-round picks that Georgia had on that defense aren't even on that graphic to give you an idea of just how deep the uh, Georgia defense was there at that particular time. So that's kind of what you got. The great Georgia defense of 2021 against the great LSU offense of 2019. Now, uh, Georgia fans, you know, obviously kind of like to think of their team sort of, sort of held in that stature, sort of historic level team, the probably the greatest defense, I believe, maybe of all time for Georgia in 2021. And listen, I'm not going to insult your intelligence by telling you that, well, Georgia would definitely beat LSU in 2019. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not because I think the LSU team in 2019 up to that point in time had probably been the best team that I had ever seen I think the LSU team in 2019 was very 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 good truly historic however I'm also not going to fall all over myself in assuming that Georgia would not have a chance in this particular situation and there were some people I thought 
that sort of unfairly uh, dismissed Georgia in this particular com- comparison between 2019 LSU and 2021 Georgia. I want to show you one of these, and I'll tell you right now, this is a guy that I like. We've had him on the show before. Um, I'm you know a fan of his work. I like reading what he you know writes and things like that. His name is Bud Elliott. He works 24-7 sports. Bud had a tweet about this, not you know picking on Bud or anything like that. He's just sort of representative of a certain line of thought that was out there. Let me show you Bud's response to this. Uh, he says this isn't serious, right? Uh, basically kind of laughing off the idea as he would later explain that Georgia could have beaten LSU in kind of a fictitious matchup because in his view the elite offense always beats the elite defense and this is where I got to push back here a little bit on Bud people like Bud who think that this version of Georgia wouldn't have any chance against that version of LSU and it's not because I am so sure that Georgia won the game if we had some sort of computer program or some sort of you know simulation artificial intelligence whatever else that allowed this game to be played for real I'm not sure that Georgia won the game uh because I think that 2019 LSU was truly a historic team and and very 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 good but if you act like Georgia has no chance to win that game and that sort of figurative matchup then I think that you're just as foolish if you assume that's the case because what Bud would say is well the elite offense always beats the elite defense and that's what some people would say and yet you can cite lots of examples the last couple of years in which Georgia has completely shut down what we would have thought of in the time as sort of elite offenses. And somehow that's not supposed to count because if they lost the game, that means they weren't a truly elite offense, which is a little bit of circular logic if you kind of understand what I'm saying. But most important than that, and this is where it kind of like, I think even kind of a sort of a manufactured contrived topic becomes a little bit more relevant in the real world that we live in right now. Here's what people sort of disregard when it comes to stuff like this. And this is what makes Georgia Georgia. And I think after even after two straight national championships, I think there is still a misunderstanding of what makes Georgia Georgia. So let's say like the computer technology existed. We played this in the metaverse somewhere, something like that. And let's say that 2021 Georgia got to play 2019 LSU. Do I believe that the 2019 LSU offense could score in the Georgia defense? Yes, I do. Because the 2019 LSU offense was that good but here's the thing that people forget while the 2019 georgia uh lsu offense is batting the 2021 georgia defense guess what the 2021 georgia offense gets to take on the 2019 lsu defense if this is a real game then both sides of the ball are playing against each other and the thing that makes georgia georgia was a greatest defense of all time pair with an offense that was just about as good as anything in college football during the year that it was playing and that was true in 2021 that was true in 2022 Now there are a lot of knuckleheads out there that didn't quite realize how good the georgia offense was over the course of the last two years because either they couldn't or or just didn't want to uh give stetson bennett any credit they didn't realize the fact that georgia's darn near scoring about 40 points per game over the course of the last 30 games in each of the last two years that's what georgia has been but whether that's been fully given credit for or not it was nonetheless true so if this is a real game it's not just the georgia defense doing battle against a historic offense it's the georgia offense which was if not quite historic at least very good for the time which it played going up against an lsu defense folks that was average as grits and you can go back and look at the uh at the game by game performances back in 2019 i realize this doesn't matter but i'm still a little bit fired up by it. go back and look what that lsu defense did against alabama that year against Ole Miss that year. Ole Miss rushed for 300-something yards against them or whatever else. There were lots of pretty poor performances uh, for the LSU defense that season. Now, the Georgia offense that faced them in 2019 couldn't do anything, but that sort of speaks to, I think, the issues with James Coley more than anything else. But the point here is, is the thing that makes Georgia Georgia is a historically good defense paired with a very good offense that is much harder to stop than it has ever been given credit for. It is the thing that Kirby Smart has described as complementary football. The idea that we're going to play defense and offense in such a way these two units work together to make a team that's unstoppable. And for as good as LSU is, and maybe their offense would have been just good enough to get them across the finish line. And maybe that offense was just so good they didn't need much on defense. Maybe that was the case. But the thing that sort of made Georgia Georgia is it's an offense and a defense that kind of work together. And in an example of that from this past season, uh, when Tennessee came to Athens, it was a defense that shut down the Tennessee offense and a Georgia offense at the beginning of the game that moved the football and basically let Tennessee know that today it just wasn't going to happen. It, not today. It just wasn't going to be the case. And it's easy to sort of write that off and disregard it now because now people have sort of said that Tennessee, oh, that wasn't an elite team. They, you know, they weren't they weren't championship level good. You know, their top skill position players only got drafted in the third round. But folks, we were alive in November of 2022. 
We were doing this show during that time. And going into that game that week, a lot of people were once again saying, oh, the elite Georgia defense is not going to shut down the elite Tennessee offense because good defense doesn't stop good offense. But that particular day, that's exactly what happened. Georgia working in complementary fashion on offense and defense, shut down Tennessee on the way to winning another national championship. But by the way, when that game was done, this whole notion of complementary football, the thing that's made Georgia Georgia over the course of the last couple of years, Kirby Smart was more than happy to talk about it. I don't think we have to validate complimentary football. We've been playing complimentary football around here for a long time. I just think that's the way you should play football. Um, we talked all week about hunting with a purpose. They gained confidence as the week went on to the plan, and they stuck to the plan, and uh, they executed well. You know? So the bottom line here is this. As Kirby Smart says, this is a team that hunts with a purpose. So in a fictitious world where 2021 Georgia could face 2019 LSU, I am certainly not going to guarantee a Georgia win there in that spot. But I am also not conceding anything either, that if you want to consider LSU a historic team, you've got every right to do so. We lived through that era. We were just as impressed by that as anybody was. But guess what? I was pretty impressed by the dogs the last couple of years there as well. And so if the technology ever exists to play games like this, I got no problem watching Georgia in a situation like that with the full assumption they would more than hold their own. And that is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Now, we've got some interesting stuff coming up a little bit later on. Uh, big development for, speaking of Tennessee, uh, one of those teams that we sort of consider a Georgia rival. How will this impact them for the positive? We'll talk about that. Also, there is massive drama involving one Power Five league that we continue to need to sort of give some attention to there as well. So we'll kind of cover all of that. And pretty big news we're late into the summer here but there are still occasionally some pretty big transfer uh acquisitions here a possible playoff contender added a pretty big name here too so we'll cover that cover that before we are all said and done there as well but for now before we get to any of that uh continued fallout on dylan riola exactly what does it mean for georgia the receivers that could maybe kind of join up at uga because of this uh, kind of a fun evaluation of a UGA commit. Let's do all of that right now as we welcome in Terrence Edwards today here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Uh, Terrence Edwards joins us. Always glad to have him. Uh, Terrence promised us last week he'd have a little bit of an eyewitness scouting report on a uh, Georgia commit, so we'll get to that here coming up. Uh, in just a little bit prior to that Terrence like I realize the Dylan Riola stuff is the big news and I promise we'll get there but let me bring you in the conversation I was just having there for a moment Uh, I don't don't have any problem with anybody saying that 2019 LSU greatest team of all time I mean uh, that uh, you know that, that that's a valid opinion that team was very very good I do have a problem though if someone thinks that the 2021 version of the Georgia Bulldogs could not play with LSU. Now, 2019 Georgia against 2019 LSU, that Georgia team could not play with LSU. We will fully acknowledge and admit that. Two years later, very different version of Georgia. Uh, Not just the all-time great defense, but a Georgia offense that more than kept pace with that great defense there that particular season. So to me, that LSU team against that Georgia team, I think it's a fair fight. Do you agree with me on that, or do you, as an offensive guy, just think the version of LSU in 2019 was just so good that nobody's beating them? No, I think it's a fair fight. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be a homer here. I do think uh, that LSU team probably would win only because when you have a generational type quarterback, you always kind of got to side with the quarterback. And so that's the only reason that I'm going to give LSU the nod. I think it would be a tight game. I think it would be a type of game that we had against Ohio State. I don't think it would be the type of blowout that it was in 2019. Uh, so I, I, I only give the edge to LSU because of Joe Burrow. And when you have a, a quarterback of that statue, um, you always have to roll with, with the better quarterback if everything else is kind of even. I think you're bringing up a really good point by mentioning the Georgia-Ohio State game. And here's what I want to say about that is that clearly we saw kind of a shootout game for Georgia against the Buckeyes, you know, going back to last year. And obviously the Ohio State offense was able to move the ball at times with ease against the Georgia defense. But it's also the Georgia offense going up against the other team's defense there as well. And Georgia has been potent enough offensively the last two years. They put a lot of pressure on opposing teams. So if you're Ohio State last year, you can say, hey, we can score in every possession. But when you see Georgia doing what it's doing offensively, 
all of a sudden we can score on every possession turns into we might need to score on every possession. That's the one thing, Terrence, that I don't think that Georgia's gotten enough credit for over the course of this two-year run is, is the offense has been so good uh, for Georgia that it has put a lot of pressure on opposing teams to need to score against the Georgia defense that's obviously built to stop you from scoring. And it is that success and strength on both sides of the ball that I don't think that Georgia got enough credit for. Now, that that alone might not be enough to beat a truly historic team like 2019 LSU. I'm more than happy to acknowledge that. But if you're comparing, you know, both sides of the ball in a situation like that, that's where I think, you know, the Georgia part of this and the possibility of a Georgia victory in a, in a fictitious game like this, I think becomes a, a whole lot more likely. Oh, I, I definitely agree. I think, uh, you know, the, the game would definitely be a, a shootout, like I just referred to the LSU game, um, to the Ohio State game. But I don't think, you know, we really gave the Georgia offense uh, their due uh, in 2021. I think we we scored timely. I think a lot of teams feel like they had to score uh, because, you know, with that type of defense, you have to score every play because the Georgia offense was going to give you just enough uh, points to win the football game. And I, and I think in that year when we beat Alabama uh, for the National Championship, we made timely plays. I, I mean, I, I, A.D. Mitchell, I, I, I know people, you know, it's, that name is synonymous right now, him leaving that, and I agree for why he left. But that young man would go down in Georgia history, making some of the best plays in Georgia history to help win us a national championship, even though he won't finish as a dog. Those plays would go down in history. So we made plays when we needed to offensively. But this year, I think the offense, uh, I think the offense was the better version this year, in, in my opinion. I think the offense was, was scary. I think we had the playmakers. Uh, I think we had to be because we lost so many players on the defense that offense, I don't not necessarily say carried the defense, but they, they definitely held their own to those guys, um, that was new starters kind of made this team there. So the linebackers, the secondary, Javon Bullock, those guys wasn't contributors the year before. Now they was contributors on this team. So I, I, I still would give the edge to the 2019 LSU, but very slightly. I think it's a good argument, Terrence. It's a fun conversation. Now, what's probably more relevant on a day like this is obviously what's happened over the last week with the five-star quarterback, Dylan Riola, announcing his Georgia commitment, nation's number one uh, recruit. We've obviously talked about this plenty. We haven't heard from you on it, though, now that Riola is officially in the fold. So let me ask you, how big of a piece of news is this for Georgia right now to have Riola out and open and public with his Georgia commitment? Oh, it's very. I mean, just – for the offense perspective as a receiver myself. And now we have the number one quarterback coming into a situation where I was already getting recruited by Georgia. Now this kind of just, just helps Georgia in that situation. As a receiver, knowing that you're going to be able to play with one of the best quarterbacks in the country throughout your duration of your time at, at the University of Georgia, that only helps. And he's the best recruiter that we can have out there. He's going to be reaching out to all these top guys and trying to pick their brains and trying to convince them that we can do this. We could continue what Georgia's already built. I know we're back-to-back, and they could be a part of uh, keeping this this ball rolling. So this is huge. This this is huge. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm, I'm, I think this is the best situation for the quarterback position uh, that we've had, and I'm glad that we didn't get the player last year because I like this player better than the quarterback from last year. So this is this this is huge. I've watched this film. He's a big, big man with a live arm, and he can move. And just from watching a video that I saw yesterday when Coach Bobo was there, he seemed like a team leader, and the guys really like him. And I've always said when especially defensive guys like you, they play hard. The people – love Stetson. Nolan loves Stetson. So they played their hearts out for Stetson. So it seems like this young man is liked by his teammates as well. No, that's uh, really fun. And I guess to kind of go a little bit deeper on this, you know, what makes a quarterback the number one prospect, right? Like, like for someone like you who's watching this probably a little bit closer with a different kind of eye than some of us do, what makes a guy like this? I mean, you said it, I think, last week that you thought he was better than Arch Manning. Uh, you know, and you can compare him to, you know, other quarterbacks the last couple of years there as well. What makes a guy like this 
the unquestioned you know best player in the country what are the difference differences when it comes to a player of this caliber uh for for, for one to me uh, i think arm talent from arts to dylan rao i think he has uh more upside i think he's, he's a little bit more athletic uh than than arts uh i can't get into how well he processes i don't know him that but just the outward abilities is, is I think, makes him the number one quarterback. Just like I said last year, I thought uh, the quarterback that went to Tennessee, to me, was the best quarterback yeah. in the in the 23 class last year just because of his physical abilities. And just watching uh, Dylan just for his, his physical abilities makes him the number one. If you just look at his stats, you would, would think uh, he didn't do a lot. But just go watch his film and the way he – uh, makes plays outside the pocket, makes plays inside the pocket. The arm strength, the throws that that can he throw a comeback from the officer's hat? Yes. So those are the things that I watch that I'm falling in love with this young man. And you know, one of the things I also talked about before you joined us is you know this notion that hey, you know, in a previous era, not too long ago, you know, guys like Raiola were going to Alabama. It was Bryce Young, it was Mac Jones, although Mac Jones wasn't necessarily the, the world's biggest recruit. Uh, you know, you know, Tua Tungavailo is certainly. And, you know, the evidence here that Raiola is now following George after George won the last, last two national championships, this could be, for many, just another strong indication that, you know, no pun intended here, the tide's just kind of turning and that there is a little bit of a changing in the guard here in college football you know, because of the fact that Georgia is now winning with kind of a final frontier of recruits, quarterback here, possibly wide receivers. We'll get there in a moment. The likes of which it just wasn't doing, even though it was having great success with Kirby Smart prior to this, that this is just another example that Georgia really is stepping into kind of an unquestioned place of supremacy within college football. Oh, I think so. And just speaking of Dylan again, something just popped in my head just uh, just thinking back over the since he's committed, when you got offensive linemen willing to make a statement about a quarterback, that tells you what type of person he is. You normally don't see offensive linemen committing, uh, making comments about a player when they commit to a, a school. I think the kid was out of California. The modern day offensive lineman made a comment about yeah. Dylan commit, and that made his. It's going to make Georgia stronger on his list. That tells you what type of person he is, and. uh that's the type of leader that, that we need. Uh, and I know that probably don't answer your question, but that just popped into my head with just what, what we're getting from this young man. All right, I want to talk about wide receivers here too because obviously there's a lot of excitement and interest about you know what this might mean for the wide receiver spot. But as kind of a lead into that, we talked last week, uh, your high school program, Milton, that you're a coach for, they had a, a fun spring game against Cass. That means Kobe White. Uh, I think a really interesting wide receiver prospect already committed for the class of 2024. Uh, how closely did you get to watch Sokovi during the game the other night? What did you think about him? And I, I guess, uh, did you have much chance to interact with him? He obviously has had plenty to say since Raiola has committed. What was your experience with Sokovi the other night? I didn't get a chance to really talk to him. I, I just dapped him up throughout the line, but didn't get a really opportunity to talk to him. And I was just speaking with Jeff Santel early, and he was asking me about Sokovi and I'm a, and people always ask me my comps. Uh, Sokovi is a football player. He, he is a football player. He can play receiver. He can play defensive back if you need to. And, and my comp for him, he's a more athletic Kiaris Jackson. Wow. Um, and you all know how I feel about Kiaris coming from Peach County. He's just a hard-nosed glue. I mean, Kiaris did not complain about his situation, just went every day to work. And uh, if, you, if you just look at Sokovi, he has almost a 40-inch vertical. So I, I'm gonna give my company. He he's a more athletic Kiaris Jackson. The other thing I think is first of all I like that comparison. Uh, but the other thing I think is kind of interesting about Sokovi is you know you want to go back and watch him like say junior season last year for Cass. This is a guy that's playing on both sides of the ball, and I think he was a really good defensive back. And I know that some of his off season, I think he's worked as a defensive back some in some of the camps and stuff that he's been to. But it seems like from the moment that George was interested in Sokovi, they were interested in him as a wide receiver. This is another one of those guys that, you know, kind of played on both sides. You know, you know, college coaches have a chance to sort of make a choice about, you know, where they see him, what side of the ball is the best overall fit. And it seems like Georgia was 
pretty emphatic from the word go that even though he plays the high school level both sides at, at, at a very high level that Georgia's kind of always saw him as a wide receiver which kind of also speaks to his chance to succeed there too that that Georgia sees receiver when it looks at Sokovia in a way that you know he probably could have considered playing on both sides of the ball but Georgia Georgia clearly sees him a receiver which I kind of like yes I I, I do uh, I, I really like the young man uh, if you just go and watch his his tape. Just look how twitchy and athletic he is, and that's what stands out to you. He, he's not the biggest guy. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say he's the fastest guy, but he, he is a guy that if the ball is in the air with the vertical leap that he has, with the hand-eye coordination that he possesses, he's going to come down with the football. He made a play uh, the other night that our defensive back uh, was able to push him out of bounds. He's just able to track the football and just high points it at the highest point with that vertical leap. And that's, that is going to help him throughout his, his career. It hopefully is that wide receiver because I think he has a bright future. So if he just goes in and just continues to be him and continues to develop, and you just think of McCole. McCole came in as a DB, yeah. then switched position. So because he came in as a, um, a receiver doesn't mean that he does, he won't switch positions at some point if need be. So you're getting a football player from Chicago, and I wouldn't just pigeonhole him to one position because he he would be able to play multiple positions if need be. So you just you got to have those those football players with just unlimited talent and don't know what you're going to do with it because Kirby and Company would find the best spot to get him on the field. Uh, speaking of wide receiver here too, you know the one thing that Georgia fans have probably been the most interested in discussing in the aftermath of the Riola commitment is. And you know how Georgia fans are on this, Terrence. It's, well, who's next? What's going to happen here? I talked about Mike Matthews from Parkview a little bit earlier. You know, Jeremiah Smith's name comes up because he's got the official visit to Georgia this weekend. Obviously, Ryan Wingo is the name that's going to kind of factor into this there, too. I mean, how real is this that, that you think, you know, the very best receivers, you know, we hear about five stars in both the class of 2024 and 25 that could you know kind of be more in play for Georgia now on this do you think that Riola could really have that big of an impact that all of a sudden Georgia starts winning with the top recruits the receiver position in a way that it just oftentimes hasn't done in the past I just think what it's going to win to for us to get those type of receiver that Ohio State gets every year uh, or Alabama it's, it's being able to produce you know thousand yard receiver and I continue to say this. Yes, we would get AJ. We would get uh those type of receivers, those just those elite joy pitches. We would get those every once in a while. Uh but receivers they, they like to put up numbers. They like to go to a program that has been proven to throw the football, has been proven to uh get receivers in NFL and and I know a lot of people don't want to hear this. Yes, winning is important. We want, they want to go to a program that's going to win, but they also want to go to a program that's going to spotlight their talent and get them numbers to hopefully get them drafted. So, uh, yes, giving Dylan Raiola is going to put us in the driver's seat for some of these elite wide receivers. Uh, but what's going to get us over the hump with these receivers now that the production and the product on the field. Do you agree, and we'll finish with this, do you agree with the point that uh, Connor Riley, one of our Dog Nation colleagues, made the other day? I think this is an interesting one, that you're adding Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. SEC schedules are about to get tougher. College football playoffs about to expand to 12 teams. That means the path to a national championship is just going to include more competitive games in the future than maybe it includes right now. You know, Georgia, for the most part, blows out like 90% of the teams that it plays. There could be less of those in the future just because of an expanded SEC and expanded playoff. And so, therefore, the presence of Riola and the receivers that he possibly brings with him, that that this is really an example of Georgia kind of knowing it needs to be even better in the future than it has been right now. Is this Georgia stepping up its level of play because it's about to step up its level of competition? I think Kirby just seen. And I, I know people don't want it, but I think Kirby just seen that the teams that he had beat just had these elite wide receivers. Um, and I think that he saw this day in and day out at Alabama when he was there, just having these elite wide receivers. Yes, defense is, is going to win. We, we are, we are going to continue to get those elite defenders. I think Kirby just realized now he has to get the elite playmakers on the outside uh, to really contend and really be a stalwart program, he has to catch up his offensive uh, talent with his defensive talent. Um, so I just think he sees 
and what he wants in receivers. And you just look at the crop that we got. These are very explosive receivers that are going down here. They're fast. So Kirby, is, I think, is now he's trying to put his effort. Now, you, you get the number one quarterback first. Then now you try to get the, the receivers and the offensive skill players to come along with him. I mean, just not quarterback. I mean, just not receivers. I mean, the tight end position, the offensive line position, and the running back position is going to want to come play with this young man. So now it's going to be up to, to Kirby. It's going to be up to Dylan to try to get these guys to come along with him. And proof is in the pudding. You're going to come to Georgia. You're going to win. Now it's about the product that we put out. Look how we look offensively. Not about winning. These guys want to look good. They want to get their numbers. And you can't fault the young men for wanting to get their numbers along winning. Both can be true. I want my numbers, and I want to win. Great stuff, Terrence. We appreciate your time here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Also, uh, it's that time of year where people are kind of putting the finishing touches on their preparations to go out and perform the best they can this high school season, catching the ball better. That's what the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy is all about. So, how can they get in touch with you and be a part of some of the great work that I know you're going to be doing here this summer? Everyone can reach me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. Hope you have a, a great weekend. We'll look forward to talking to you very soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, I think the point that Terrence making is a good one. There's no doubt that one of the changes that we've seen in college football last few years is the importance of the wide receiver has just skyrocketed. And if we would say, well, quarterback's the single most important position in all of team sports, certainly in football, you know, in in, in football, wide receiver has has risen and risen and risen in terms of its overall importance. Now, I still think one of the huge blunders that people make is is they disregard line of scrimmage play that, you know, and we're going to talk about this here in a moment with, you know, big wide receiver makes a big move, whether it be a, a recruit or a transfer or whatever else. I do think that people kind of forget, oh, yeah, offensive and defensive line, you better make sure you're really, really good there. You better, you better be able to pair line of scrimmage with quarterback to have any chance of being a championship contender. That's still true. That's not changing. But one of the things that has evolved a little bit is that the wide receiver position has grown in importance. When you look at the NFL draft, you see some positions probably – lesser in in importance you know running backs not as valued as they once were don't tell the Atlanta Falcons that but running backs from a draft standpoint not as valued as they once were and with the maybe erosion in value of a position like that you see the 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 growth in value of a position like wide receiver I guess the one thing I would say is is that one individual wide receiver I don't know that changes the fortunes of a program the way that one quarterback obviously can but a wide receiver group, certainly that's the case. And when you try to tell the overall story of why a team like Alabama during the Nick Saban era, especially sort of latter half of the Nick Saban era, has been as successful as it's been, the presence of great wide receivers, I think, cannot be discounted there. That look at the struggles that Tua Tungavailoa has had at, at the NFL level. You know, you look at the fact that, you know, right now we're not really quite so sure what Mac Jones's future is going to be. You know, these Alabama quarterbacks, for as good as they were, are not exactly can't-miss prospects. But oftentimes they were made to seem unbeatable because of the receivers they were playing with. And, you know, we can joke all about, you know, Alabama whining about injured receivers, things like that. The truth is, this is a program that's had terrific receivers. And so when you tell the story of why, you know, Nick Saban in sort of the latter portion of his career was able to win as much as he was able to, I think the presence of those receivers probably matters as much as anything. And it probably matters maybe even as much as the Alabama quarterback situation did because we've got some circumstantial evidence that would suggest to us that was the receivers that made the quarterback maybe not quite so much always the other way around all right let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean then we have a couple of interesting things to discuss but y'all know there is very little that's more interesting to me than planning for a royal caribbean cruise vacation and this summer is obviously a great time to do that some of you i hear all the time are like you know be you talk about the caribbean but man i'd, I'd love to be on one of these alaskan cruises going out of seattle or somewhere like that where you hit vancouver and then you head up you know all throughout alaska It does seem like a a wonderful experience. One of those things I hope to get to do one day myself. This summer, I'm settling for a a chance uh, to once again visit the Caribbean. I say air quotes around settling because that's what I truly love. Perfect day, Coco Cay, going to the Bahamas. Some of you uh, like some of the other Caribbean locales. I was talking to my son last night. You know, we were uh, on a seven-night Oasis-class ship cruise. We were on Wonder of the Seas back in February, and we visited Labadee, which is a private destination for... Uh, Royal Caribbean in Haiti and my son was telling me about how much he enjoyed that and how many great members he has of that this is like a unplanned conversation this was not an ad this was just him talking to me and those are the kinds of conversations we still have 
around our household because of the Royal Caribbean cruise vacation we've been able to take. So my encouragement to you is to make those same kind of memories with your family and those that you love by your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So talk to Jessica Slater, great travel agent. She can help you out with that. 770-718-9147. 770-718-9147. Let Jessica help you get booked up on a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. All right, let's talk about a couple of things here for a moment, starting with Tennessee. So there's some reports coming out of Knoxville that Tennessee is going to build, or I, I guess a, the, I, I guess it's the, the local government, I guess, going to build this kind of platform thing next to Neyland Stadium that will connect Neyland Stadium to Thompson Bowling Arena and kind of create more use of like some of the land next to the Tennessee River there in Knoxville. And basically, it's going to be kind of a walking area kind of turning that into a little bit of a mixed-use development that is going to kind of make, I guess, that area around Neyland Stadium a little bit, a little bit more palatable. Frankly, it's pretty ugly. Neyland Stadium looks a little bit like an erector set. Uh, you know, that whole area around Knoxville can be a little dreary. I think this is supposed to be a little bit of an aesthetic upgrade of this. And I got a couple thoughts on this here uh, just for a moment. First of all, even though this is kind of a thing happening in Tennessee, there's an element of this that kind of still seems sort of interesting, exciting to me just simply from the standpoint that it seems like now this is sort of the new way that everybody wants to go in sports. And obviously the model for this, even though the the Braves weren't exactly the first one to do something like this, it's probably the example that maybe I think does it the best. The, the whole idea of like the battery concept, the area around Truist Park, the people kind of congregate before and after games. And it has just become such a epicenter of activity here in Atlanta. And, you know, for those of us who kind of live in the Atlanta area, I'll tell you, I think the building of Truist Park and the establishment of the battery, I think that's had a bigger impact on Atlanta than the Olympics did. Everything that the Olympics was supposed to be for Atlanta, making this kind of a world-class city and all that kind of stuff, honestly, a lot of that probably ended up being overblown. Yeah, we got some you know, facilities out of it, but some of those facilities aren't even used for anything anymore. For everything the Olympics were supposed to be, I think the building of Truist Park and the building of the battery around that, I think that's been the thing that's probably made Atlanta into a world-class city almost more so than anything else. Like, you go to a Braves game right now. This is not an ad read for the Braves. This is just me just me sharing my own personal experience. Like, that is a world-class experience. It really is. And when you're there, you're left to conclude something that I don't know that we always said about our town back in the 90s, early 2000s, whatever else. This is a great sports city. That, that when you've got 40-something thousand people every night coming to every Braves game and they're having dinner before the game, they're hanging out after the game, they're doing whatever else, you know, kids are on the lawn out there playing, which uh, my kids have always loved doing. Like, this is a great sports city. You know, great sporting events, great sporting atmospheres create great uh, sports towns, and Atlanta is one. I would say the battery, number one reason why. It is just a world-class experience, and everybody obviously wants a piece of that. And what's interesting to me about this is, a couple of years ago, we were sort of asking the question, even in college football, which obviously has been beloved for a long time, of, you know, what do you do with the fact that, you know, people seem less interested in going to games they used to? You know, it sort of seems like this kind of stuff, making the stadium experience into a little bit more of a overall experience and kind of creating sort of a, you know, a level of amusement and attraction outside the stadium. It just sort of seems like this is the future and all that. So even though this is happening at Tennessee, there's an element of which, I'm kind of interested in this because it just sort of seems like every stadium moving forward, you know, the idea is, you know, how do you make it into the kind of thing where people can kind of come and hang out and stay outside the stadium and create something that's really, really fun. Plus the idea of a bunch of sad Vols fans walking around this, you know, nice complex after a game with their head, you know, looking down at the floor because their team got beat again. I, I just think that's fun in its own right there as well. But obviously for a Georgia fan, you're kind of left to ask of, well, if they're putting this kind of money into something outside the stadium or if the local government's doing that, whoever it is that's you know kind of building all this, does this help Tennessee? Honestly, I'm not quite so sure that it does necessarily one way or another. It probably you know, uh, may make Georgia fans' trips to Knoxville more enjoyable because right now it's sort of hard to find a place to eat around there. So maybe this will create more restaurants, things like that. So maybe it makes your trips to Knoxville a little bit more enjoyable. But it does kind of remind you of something that you know in the SEC – there's a little bit of a divide between the size of some of these towns, like you know, you got Knoxville, Lexington, places like that. They're that actually fairly, you know, sizable, you know, especially in comparison to other SEC towns. Like Athens is just a really small town. It's not that far from Atlanta, about an hour and a half drive, whatever else. But if you just sort of look at Athens in kind of a universe unto itself, it's a pretty small town, and a lot of the SEC college towns are really pretty small college towns. You know, you compare that to a lot of like say the Big Ten college towns. You know, Columbus, Ohio's 
pretty big. They got a pro sports franchise in, in, in Columbus. The uh, they have an NHL team there, and a lot of those sort of college towns and some of these Big Ten places and a couple of SEC places like Lexington and Knoxville are actually not so small necessarily compared to certainly what Athens, Georgia is, and places like that. So thus far, that's never really mattered very much. But you kind of wonder in the future. You know, does that matter a little bit more? You know, is there a way to kind of take advantage of larger populations that some places sort of have? Um, ultimately, I don't know this makes much of a competitive difference one way or another, but I do think it's sort of an interesting development. And uh, as I said before, nothing else. Those road trips to Knoxville for Georgia fans may get uh, more enjoyable because of that. Uh, I'll shift gears and talk about this for a moment as we're kind of cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, outside the SEC, but SEC fans certainly pay attention to this very interesting piece at Sports Illustrated, SI.com, written by Pat Forty, kind of highlighting what we talked about earlier this week there as well. Huge divide right now uh, within the ACC, but the future of the ACC, because you got teams like Florida State and Clemson that feel like they have a financial worth that's just greater than the rest of the league, and they'd love to get out of the league if they could to go take advantage of that and basically leave you know, the sort of lesser schools in the ACC left to rot, I guess, if they had their way on that. Uh, 40 quotes what he calls an ACC source who says right now the league we're not unified he says we are unified until someone offers a school more to go somewhere else and everyone's just going to grab it so basically right now this unnamed source and this story from Pat 40 at SI.com says the ACC is only barely held together here right now by little more than just a you know, a wink and a nod because the moment someone had a clear path to leave the ACC, such as a Clemson, such as a Florida State, they are definitely going to do it. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but every sense that I get here is is that legally breaking up this grant of rights deal that holds this conference together sounds like it's pretty hard to do. And, you know, the notion that someone's going to step in another conference, a Big Ten and SEC, something like that, and pay the big bucks to buy out a Clemson or a Florida State or a Miami or a North Carolina, somebody like that, to get out of the ACC and join some other league, I just don't see a whole lot of evidence that's necessarily going to happen. So there's been some talk of, well, maybe do you end up creating a different revenue model where the teams in the ACC that actually generate some revenue, they get a larger shot, uh, 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 share of the pie than the the Dukes and the Wake Forest and the teams like that that literally bring nothing uh, to the table. And it sounds like right now there's a little bit of disagreement about that too because, you know, a lot of ACC teams say, hey, that's not the agreement we originally made. Why would we change the agreement we really originally made? This isn't fair. So one of the things that's maybe been talked about is I think that's kind of interesting is, okay, so if certain teams are deserving of revenue more so than others, then maybe you make this a competitive thing. Whereas like, if you win enough, you actually win more money for your school, which I think could be interesting and could maybe make the ACC in some respects, uh, you know, give it sort of an additional storyline or you know, a little bit additional uh, narrative wrinkle that other leagues don't have of. They're actually playing for money. They're, pl- they're doing a real, you know, live meritocracy over there where by winning you get more money for your program. I'll also say what's kind of funny is, you know, the PGA Tour is also trying a version of this right now too as a way of paying their best golfers more to not go to live or something like that. They're trying to create, you know, these – elevated events and things like that we have a chance to make more money but the funny thing that's happening the pga tour at least certainly in the first few months of the season is you know the people kind of moving up the uh, money list on some of this kind of stuff not exactly the ones you always thought it would be and who's to say the acc might be the same way where you create sort of a merit-based you know revenue sharing model where the best teams get more money but there's no guarantee it'll be Florida State, Miami, or Clemson who actually do the winning there in that particular situation. That that you know they they may create a merit based situation where the teams that we think of as most deserving the money end up not winning enough to be able to take advantage of it. So could be a very interesting future ahead for the ACC. Clearly, there's a lot of unhappiness there. This is you know right now maybe the least stable of the Power Five leagues to go along with probably the Pac-12 there too. Uh, and no real obvious resolution to all of this. I'll also mention one more ACC note really quickly here. Uh, Keon Coleman was a pretty good wide receiver for uh, Michigan State last year, and he announced, I think it was yesterday, that he's on his way to Florida State. So I think the thought of Florida State as a real legitimate playoff contender has to be taken very seriously right now. And the game between Florida State and LSU to begin this season, y'all, that's about as good as it gets right now because we think that LSU has been incredibly undervalued and if we had to make our pick in the sec west for this upcoming season right now our pick would be lsu so a team that did win the division a year ago we think it win it again justifying a probably a you know top five certainly top six seven eight type ranking 
gets a chance to play a Florida State team that also sort of has the look and feel of a legitimate playoff contender right now. Uh, that's a great week one game, and Florida State already pretty good on paper gets even better because of the transfer of Coleman. They have done a great job in the transfer portal, pretty clearly trying to put themselves in sort of a win-now mode. Mike Norvell, interesting things happening in Tallahassee right now. That is worth your attention. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, folks, I want to give you one big heads up about one thing on tomorrow's show. So in addition to Jeff Sintel, we talk about all kinds of stuff related to UGA recruiting and the fallout from the Dylan Riola commitment and all that kind of stuff. We are also going to have on the show tomorrow the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. Always so much fun to have Jake as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily. So we'll do that to wrap up our show tomorrow and want you all to be a part of that there as well. And I want to send out a special thank you to our friends at Kroger who've made this possible with Jake Fromm and remind you that Kroger also has great ways for you to save right now. Creative uses of technology to put more money back in your pocket, including some digital coupons. You can go digital and save even more right now with our friends at Kroger. Just create an account on the Kroger app or on the website at Kroger.com. You can start saving big with some digital coupons. Just go to Kroger.com slash sign up for more on that. That's Kroger.com slash sign up for a lot more on that. So the other day we gave out a a golden shoe winner uh, to a Nest Baldazon, a guy that was with us in the Dog Nation cruise, a really good guy and a big dog fan. And uh, he uh, enjoyed that. Sent me this uh, picture on, on Twitter of him watching the show there. I'm always uh, kind of, it's always kind of like to see the folks who kind of put Dog Nation Daily right there on the big screen TV and watch that there from home. So uh, Ness checking out and doing that there. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, good folks. We had a great time on the Dog Nation cruise. So many great UGA fans were part of that, including Ness, who's checking in still and watching a dog nation daily right there on the big screen tv at home so we'll give ness a golden shoe for that today you also see baby yoda there uh with the uh, georgia logo as a part of his uh, twitter avatar which is kind of nice to see there too so golden shoe going out there on that florida gators though they have no gold in their life because they have no trophies they have no championships and things get even worse 163 days from right now lousy stinking gators will taste defeat once again that's our gator hater countdown we'll see you again tomorrow